Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Cult Faves, a podcast about cults. I'm Cher Martinetti. And I'm going to bond. That was so much better. (laughs) (laughs) We had to start over. Sometimes. I forgot what we were, what we were doing. (laughs) I forgot what we're doing. It's a podcast about cows. It's a (laughs) podcast about how I'm over the summer because it's just, I can't deal with this humidity and this heat anymore. I really can't. I know. I hate it. And everybody that like I tweeted the other day, um, ready for summer to fuck off. And then people start like a lot of people. Most people agreed with me because they probably live in areas where the summer is brutal. But every once in a while, I get like someone that's like, no way, I want it to stay forever. And I'm like, okay, you obviously live someplace with a far better climate or really you're like in school sweating. and you have summers <laughs> off. Like that's, it's only right. one of those two things because summer sucks. I if mean, you live are, in New York. There are people who enjoy like sweating. I don't really understand those people. And since I'm a sweater, like it doesn't take much, like the heat, a little movement, like, you know, in yoga, everyone else is like, seems like perfectly fresh. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm dripping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm a sweater. I don't mind if it's like when I'm working out. I don't want to sweat because I stepped outside my front door for 30 seconds. Exactly. And then like, <laughs> I can't breathe because the air is like, and I have asthma. So I can't breathe because the air is so thick and humid. And it seriously feels like I'm trying to inhale and be in like a, a take a deep breath in like a sauna. So the thing about sweating, uh, this is what I use to make myself feel better about the fact that I'm a, I I sweat like crazy is uh, when I was in high school, I read in like a Marie Claire or Glamour, Mm -hmm. uh, some magazine like that, uh, that sweating, if you sweat a lot, it just means your body is very efficient. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, no, I did. I read, I think I read like a similar thing that, and supposedly it means like, Especially when you're working out, it means like that your body is actually flushing the toxins. You're not yeah. dehydrated. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, cool. But also, like, <laughs> I would like to not have a small river of sweat under my boobs because I'm standing waiting for the subway. Small, uh, small river of sweat under my boobs will be our first album title. <laughs> <laughs> this is so sexy. <laughs> I like what other what other like female myths can I ruin for guys? <laughs> hmm, I'm sure there's lots. But I'm the sure deodorant there's... under the boobs thing has become like my lifesaver. Oh, totally. Like that and then like you have to put it in between too. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when you're working out. <laughs> you're welcome, guys. <laughs> I mean, seriously, though, I remember the first time somebody told me this, like, and I was like, game changer. Yeah. (laughs) It's a thousand times better than baby powder. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. This is what happens. If you have boobs, you have to, there's a lot of maintenance that comes into having bigger than a B cup, I'm going to say. So much. So much much maintenance. Yeah. It's not cute. (laughs) (laughs) So, all right. So that's uh, speaking, of, speaking of bodies. Speaking I know of this actually works body. perfectly with is with that, what we are going to present to us today. So tell yeah, us about this cult. This is actually a it's a great segue because a very good segue. Uh, we're going to talk about a cult that was obsessed with looks in a lot of ways. Yeah, the Buddha Field, which was one of the first requests that we got after our first episode, and I had forgotten. I had watched the documentary when it first came out, which is called Holy Hell, and is on yes. Netflix. It's that's so good. 
so it is where most of the information comes from. Pretty much everything else comes from like promotional interviews. Yeah, it was really hard to find stuff in this cult because I remember after I saw that documentary and I looked them up and you can't really find anything. You can barely find like the leader's actual name and like who he, which to me is the most fascinating part. Uh, Absolutely. And we will totally get into that. I can't Um, wait. I'm so excited. So this is, so this is another California cult, just like murder. California is a hotbed of cult activity. (laughs) It is. This was well after the Source family, though, and it existed for much longer. So this documentary, Holy Hell, uh, which, you know, as I said, is on Netflix, is made by a former acolyte named Will Allen. And he was also the de facto group videographer. And he spent 22 years in this cult documenting it. So even though when (sighs) he leaves, eventually, I know. That's a whole adult person life length. Yeah. uh, Yeah. That's a very formative amount of time. I mean, what do anything? One of the one of the pieces that I read about the documentary was talking about how one of the things that makes this so unique is that it is probably the most amount of footage, first first person like footage and account Mm -hmm. about a life in a cult that we have, period, just because it was so steadily documented for so long. Now, there is this thing. He was not allowed to take all the footage when he left that he had. So he cobbled the movie together out of just 35 hours or so of of edited footage that uh, he still had from over the years. And the crazy Uh, part is that he was recording all that stuff at request of the cult leader. That's a level of narcissism that's... Yes. Amazing to me. That's amazing. It's... Incredible. And in one of the interviews I read, this is a this is a note. This will be a good note as we start talking about this, this more. So what he said, one of the difficult things when he went back to look at the footage when he decided to make this documentary is how aware the teacher was whenever the camera was on. And so he was always very careful. And so it's actually very difficult to find footage where he wasn't sort of presenting himself as he yeah. wants to be. Who's which performing. also makes which makes it super crazy. But though, wasn't he like? Still, wasn't he like so a? Disturbing. Yeah, wasn't he like a, a failed actor? Like he wanted to be an actor. Or he wanted to be like. Oh Broadway. yes. Of course, this is like. Fa- There's a lot. The other thing too, and I hope somebody at home that listens is like keeping track of this. Every single one of these people that we talk about, like whenever we talk about a cult, almost always they are failed. They wanted to be in the entertainment industry. Absolutely. I'm just well, and, saying. And in California, too. I mean, like, it's just even more so the California cults. But I think that is the reason why there's so many there, maybe. So at any rate, the thing that that's one of the things that makes this documentary so exceptional. But also the other thing is because he knows the people that he's interviewing so well, it's not just his experience. He gets these incredibly candid interviews with other people who were in the cult um, that are still close to each other. And so it is really great. And I recommend it. So basically, this all starts in 1985, when Will Allen meets this man using the name Michelle Rostand, or just Michelle at this point. So and fa- he's so fabulous. Yeah. He's so and fabulous. He's, he's in the worst by, possible way. Come he's on. introduced by his poor sister. Um, he had just been kicked out of the house by his parents after coming out to them. So obviously this is a youngish, you know, adult who is exploring, looking for meaning and purpose. He really characterizes himself as somebody who was searching. And so his sister introduces him to her friends that called themselves the Buddha field. So hold on very quickly. <laughs> this is after the brother, Will, was kicked out. 
The brother will okay. get kicked out. I just want to make sure. And right, he go goes and he goes to LA mm-hmm. um, where his sister is mm-hmm. and she introduces him to these people. So he meets this extremely fit, tan, tiny, petite little man <laughs> who loves to wear Speedos, uh, who has this weirdly blended, hard to identify accent, like think of Madonna in certain eras, <laughs> like, but even, but, but also like with a little bit of, um, like I don't Peter Laurie or something in there. Like I don't know. It's very strange. So he he Michelle soon starts calling himself the teacher. All right. So one thing I was curious about is this because as you said when you Google this you can't find very much was what Budafield actually means and like where they took that from. And so this is another very familiar phenomenon, right? They borrowed this from Buddhism. They borrowed it from Eastern philosophy and mm-hmm. religion like many of the cults that we've seen. And so basically it is something called Pure Land Buddhism that this is, comes from. And in Sanskrit, the equivalent concept is called a Buddha field. So it basically just means we live in a shithole, a corrupt world, and uh, eventually have to ascend to another land that, you know, various Buddhas have various lands. What kind uh, of, what, true, so like, what version of Buddhism is this based on? So it's actually called Pure Land Buddhism. It's a particular East Asian Buddhist kind of offshoot that lots of people practice. And there are also Pure Lands in Taoism and some other sort of literature and religious cultures. So they just sort of... So there are other things called the Buddha Field that if you Google Buddha Field, you'll get that are like festivals and, you know, like that are that have nothing to do with this cult. So just FYI, like they basically appropriated something as we've seen people do again and again, which tends to happen with cults. Yeah. Now, so this guy was born Jaime, I guess, <laughs> Michelle, uh-huh. and he renames people. Of course, he renames Will Francesco and gave pretty much everyone kind of those sort of grand, like I would say, Italian or European style names, and even though he comes across as a weirdo from the start. This is actually one of those where you can sort of see why people got sucked into this community. There's all these images of people sort of ecstatically jumping and hugging and dancing and crying. And they're all like these beautiful young white people. You see this guy in very short shorts on a mountaintop who like really does not like to wear shirts a lot flinging his arms out and there's more hugging, but they all look like they're having fun, right? They're like Mm -hmm. frolicking in the ocean and, you know, yada, yada. They just look like quintessential hippies, but also like they're all they all seem very smart. Most they were kind of like designer hippies. They were. They were designer like, hippies. They were very yeah, like. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Because They were very aware of their aesthetic. Yes. So I felt like they were designer hippies, which, you know, TM, I'm coining that term. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I think you're right. And they're just like, they're very smart, articulate, open-minded people, right? Like yeah. they came from well-off backgrounds. Most of them were educated. They had jobs. And in some ways, we can talk a little bit about how this may be one of those examples where, you know, there's an old truism that con- in con art- artist um, sort of studies and books, which is that the easiest people to fool are the- are smart people. Because they think that they're least susceptible, less susceptible to bad arguments. And you know, so I think that they this, were smart enough that they would debate with each other and they would joke about this isn't a cult or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's self-awareness there. That's that very meta. Rationalized. Yeah. Yes, yes. Well, it's like so, there's a certain suspension of disbelief that has to happen. Oh, right? Yeah. And, right. and I almost feel like the smarter somebody is, the better they are 
at finding a way to justify a thing. Sure. To, so yeah. Yes. Young s- searching people who are seeing other young searching people who seem smart and bright. And, you know, so there's also this a little bit of a herd of uh, a herd immunity, right? To, yeah. ra- to, to basically being like, well, if these people are here, it must be okay. So basically, I mean, a lot of this is going to sound familiar in sort of this. Is, he sort of started a little bit similar to the source family guy, father, God, our fave. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would host weekly meetings and he was into polo shirts during this period as well as speedos. And he would basically like sit in a room and lead a meditation yoga practice and give basically like little bullshit sayings like his teachings. Like one of them that there's a video of is happiness is wherever you are. And he would say it with this kind of like very calm sort of voice. Yeah. Uh, and he claimed that he had a master who had led him to a spiritual awakening and he basically, you know, as a lot of a lot of these people who were in there are like, you know, for us, he was just like a guru in India where people are more commonly have, you know, a spiritual teacher that they study with. And so we're like, this isn't normal here, but it's normal. Right. Mm-hmm. And they liked him. So, I mean, a lot of them said like they were kind of put off by him at first, but he would charm them. Um, he also Which was a, any good cult leader does exactly. He's a big fan of Ray Bans. He spoke several languages. He could be funny, and he had weekly individual hypnotherapy sessions called cleansings that were required. Mm. Uh, he charged fifty dollars per session for these, and he'd use this creepy hypnotherapy phrasing back in time down the steps. Um, this comes up several times. So like and- this is another inter- like and I think that I think like we should actually start doing this where we're showing the parts of the cults cuz every cult follows a similar they all oh, have yeah. a similar thing you know so you have the charismatic leader yep you have the and I think this is a good way to actually start determining things that like if they're almost a cult you know right. so you have the charismatic leader you have the whitewashing or like the Borrowing, the borrowing of of (laughs) Eastern ideology or older ideologies that are like, you know, been around for centuries. And then there has to be there's the it's almost like the part like the blackmail, because that's how they get the dirt on you. Right. So it's like, this is what this is like these hypnosis. Yes. It's like now they're getting dirt on you. That's like their emotional ammunition. Exactly. That's exactly what so, it is. So he finds out everything, their fears, mm-hmm. the terrible things that happened to them in childhood, everything he can use for manipulation. And yeah. Okay. So cleansing scare quotes. And by the way, <laughs> all three of those things. Yeah. Well, not so much the borrowing or the bastardization of Eastern philosophy, but the charismatic man and the emotional ammunition. Like now you're starting to see the parallels between a cult and a cult leader and abusive relationships. Absolutely. Oh, and this one, this one is is all over that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. So I, I think this is like a good checklist we should like make every every time, it right? Is. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's a good. I mean, it's definitely there are patterns in this one. Fits. Yeah. Hundred um, so, percent. So this group continues to grow. It is a little different than some of the other cults in that people are still allowed to have like kind of lives outside, at least at first. You know, they lived in other houses, some of them, although some of them did live communally. They owned businesses and paid rent, but they kicked in extras, whatever the community needed, right, got purchased. 
And this idea of service was introduced to part of the values of the group. And so uh, the service could be for other people, but it could also obviously be for the teacher. This poor dude, this is one of my favorite things in this, but it's so like sad. This guy didn't know what he could do for service. He was kind of artistic. So he decided to make these elaborate fruit salads. And they're like it, these incredible dioramas of like the Last Supper. I actually remember this. Made out of papaya. <laughs> they are incredible. We'll have to put some pictures up in the Patreon. If he they're like amazing. still, ha- if he like started his own business doing this, I would thousand percent be <laughs> like, I'd want to start a Go- GoFundMe to order one. So this because it can't sh- be cheap. <laughs> so this is the shit. Well, well, you think, but so this is the this is the really the part where you're like, oh man, motherfucker. So he comes home one day and his roommate, who was closely serving the teacher, which we can probably take to mean like was massaging him or like having sex with him, was putting his fruit salad art, which he had clearly been given like Mm -hmm. when he went to the to the teacher's place into a into a blender, just like making a smoothie out of the with this elaborate piece of art. So he wasn't even eating them. And I'm just like, if someone makes you a fucking Last Supper fruit salad, you have to eat it. <laughs> you, you, otherwise, you know, I mean, it's like this should have been the first. But so this guy keeps, even though he knows he's throwing them away, he keeps making them after this. Yeah, that's. <laughs> and so there was a line somewhere in this documentary right around this point where they were like, they used to joke, if this is a cult, it's at least it's a really good cult. <laughs> First, first rule of there is no such thing. Uh, Sorry, I was just looking at the picture of the fruit salad art, and like, there's even there's eyes. I know. There's I'm so (laughs) like this is amazing. Honestly, I I really hope this person, this person could. Like you know how people get like custom cakes, you know, like you could be getting like custom fruit salad for like. Your I office like party. A, oh, I mean, this guy should start something that, like, uh, there is a company, right, that sends, like, edible arrangements or whatever. Right, but this is, like, next level. Like, this, this is guy something should you, be their creative director. Right. Like, this guy should be making, like, oh, like, the, you have, like, a diorama of, like, you don't know, like, <laughs> the Grinch who stole Christmas at your holiday party. Yeah, all made of fruit. Be, he should be <laughs> this should Tim, be... He should be the Tim Gunn of edible arrangements. This should be a Food Network reality, like, competition oh, show. Oh, totally. And he should be the judge. Oh, my God. Okay, go Amazing. on. Amazing. I would watch it <laughs> a million times. It's the great... It's the great... It's the great fruit salad cult-off. Or yeah. whatever. <laughs> fruit salad carve-off. So, then they go to... Re- they start having retreats, and, and we see footage of those. There's something called a Shakti retreat. And by the way, when my yoga teacher at class this morning said the word Shakti because I had just finished doing this research, I wanted to be like, don't push it. Like, I'm watching you. But that's the thing, though. And that's like, but, you know, like, that's valid because what sucks is that you hear about this stuff. And if you're someone who, let's say you do like meditate or you do go to yoga or maybe you, you know, you go to church or you whatever your belief or however you choose to express yourself or if you're religious or if you're spiritual or whatever, you hear about these cults and it turns it almost turns you off from something that maybe isn't doing a bad thing. And then and then for the people who get into the cults, it's like they're seeking those things that sound very normal, like they're already parts of their life. 
So it's yeah. like, well, this is this isn't weird. This Buddha, it's Buddhism. It's got Buddha right in the name, you know? Yeah. By the way, I will tell you a, a side note of something amazing that happened. So this was yoga in an art gallery that it's a hotel. It's an art hotel, the 21 C's, which they have all over. And they just put in a new installation and I hadn't seen it yet. And so I went out of after yoga, you know, this great yoga where we all did positive affirmations and et cetera. And I went to look at the first piece and it looks like a little dollhouse. And I'm like, oh, this looks cool. It's the guy who does who did the dioramas that are exact replicas of the murders from In Cold Blood is is based on. And I'm like, this is only like murderinos unite. Like, are there any other murderinos at yoga? I don't think there are. So I can't share this delightful surprise with anyone around me. But yeah, I'm excited to go back and look at the rest of it. All right. Go on. So back to. By the way, I really like these. So I just because I've never heard of (laughs) these hotels. And apparently it's a chain in the Midwest. They're great. And they're They're religious because every single one of them, it's a museum, but it's a hotel. Yeah. I, I mean, this is where on my walk, when I need to stop and get air conditioning, I go to the galleries and they all have great restaurants and uh, there's a reading series. And stuff like I and would also- I would okay. visit Kentucky to go to one of these hotels. Well, you'll have to come visit at some point. We could go to like the Creation Museum. <laughs> oh, they have one in to. Nashville, too. <laughs> <sighs> That's not far. Uh, road trip. No, I've never <laughs> you been guys to Nashville. join the Patreon so you can fund a road trip. So you can fund my trip. <laughs> yeah. All right. So go on. Go on. So they go on these retreats out into the woods and basically it looks like he's sort of like giving people light head trauma. So I can totally see why they think they're seeing shit because he's like says he's transferring energy from master to disciple. I mean, it basically is very similar. It reminded me of Pentecostal preachers like laying hands on people. Yeah. So, you know, and these people describe this as like inducing an LSD like state. You know, I find myself wondering like, you know, not just about whether anyone was using drugs, which this group was not supposed to, but whether or not, you know, you've got dehydration, like lack of food, you know, like there's all sorts of things that you can do to sort of encourage that kind of ecstatic state. You know, those, I mean, ecstatic states can be entered. Like, I think there's ample evidence of that. And so you can't really attribute it to this guy other than that he took you into the mountains and did this, but. So this is like five years then mm-hmm. he comes up with this concept that he steals from the Bhagavad Gita uh, called the knowing, which is a direct experience of God, God revealed in uh, purest form. So then he basically asks all the people on this retreat, the people from Buddha fields who are there, who wants to get the know? who wants the knowing. And of course, they're all like, yeah. <laughs> we want the knowing raising the throw your hands in the air if you want the knowing and they're all like we do um but then he starts doing this you know obviously this is where we get into the control thing not everyone can receive the knowing right not everyone of is course ready. and he has to meditate about it and it, it, this was one of his tricks like whether or not people were ready and so you'd have people who had given up you know like everything and be told no um, but he would also sometimes claim that he talked to God and had had a, and that the p- person was going to die if they didn't follow his teaching. That basically like he had argued for this person's life with God and as long as they followed him, like he would save them. So that's another thing really quick. That's another thing in an abusive relationship. The feeling of you're not good enough for something. You need to be better. Absolutely. So it's now it's like a breakdown of your psyche. Yeah, Totally. 
and, and, and of your confidence and of your ego. And this guy, and this guy was a trained therapist, so he knows this. Yeah, yeah. He knows exactly. Because if you break down the ego, right? That's, yep. I mean, right there, like everyone has an ego. So now that will fall under the guise with a lot of, especially with like Eastern ideologies where, and you know, some, same with some Western religions too, where the ego, you need to let go of your ego because your right. ego is the one that, you know, it's like that saying, and I always tell people this, it's like the saying from Pulp Fiction when, <laughs> when, uh, when he says that feeling you feel right now, like, you know, that feeling you feel right now, that's your pride fucking with you. Yeah. And that's basically like what your ego is. It's where it fucks with you in situations and makes you, it does get in your way with a lot of stuff. Sure. But here's how a cult leader and a guy like this and also an abusive person in a relationship yeah. will use that against you and be like, oh, well, you have so much of an ego. You have such an ego and you hear that and you want to be a better person. So you start to like doubt yourself. That's really what they're trying to do. Get you to doubt yourself and take yeah. away your power. Absolutely. And so... Yeah. By the way, my favorite person in this entire documentary is Will's sister. He has two sisters and the one sister who is like just the straight shooter who's all like basically like just hilarious. But she's does the interview and there's this enormous cat sleeping on her lap the entire time. She's like, you know, basically like, fuck that cat. Um, and uh, and this cat's just like sleeping. She's like a cat whisperer. At any rate, 1989, Will begins doing service for Michelle directly, becomes like high up in the group and takes on more sorts of importance himself. It's an honor to serve him, obviously. So Michelle, at this point, starts to spin out a little bit. This is when he sort of starts to starts to push the boundaries even more. So his background was as an actor. As you said, his main credit is a, a short looks at camera at the end of Rosemary's Baby. <laughs> he was basically <laughs> a background actor. He was in tons of porn and people would say, I think he was in porn and everybody would be like, ha ha ha, no way. But there are like footage of him in porn mm -hmm. uh, that they put in the documentary. So nobody knew that at the time, but it was true. He had been a ballet dancer. And so they've got 150-ish people following him at this point. He makes them start doing ballet daily and considers it a devotion. Some people loved it. Most people were not into it, but they did it anyway. Mm -hmm. He has this weird mockery about sex at the same time as he's always wearing a Speedo. And apparently one of the nicknames for people, they were supposed to abstain from sex. But like they kind of referred to it as the booty field because everyone was having sex, just not telling him about it. And so he has this psychopathic Ken doll quality to him. <laughs> Whenever right. he looks at but, the And it's also interesting because he <laughs> has this very weird relationship with sex where yeah. I think that's another example of when you're looking at an abusive relationship, especially when they get sexually abusive, is where sex now becomes more about power, power. right? Uh, yes. Because that's exactly what he starts to do. And he says and it's the same thing we've heard before, too, about it dissipating energy is why people should do it. Mm-hmm. So his guyliner gets more pronounced around this time. He requires massage and chiropractic. To be fair, it was the late the 80s. Man. The whole. <laughs> his, his was not. He was not rocking it, though. I mean, it, was, it was wearing him. Um, <laughs> he has people around him doing all of his shit, making his meals, being chauffeur, carrying his fucking chair that they had this big chair. And he had one dude that just his service was to carry this chair everywhere that he went. Like he's Cleopatra. No, 
you're not a cult leader, right? Yeah. Um, his helpers went on vacation with him. He took Will to Hawaii, and that's where he initiated a sexual relationship with him. So there's all these rules, no drugs or alcohol. People weren't supposed to watch TV, movies, read books. Like, they basically weren't supposed to have any sort of outside stimulus coming in at a certain point. People were encouraged, like one woman's dad was dying and he told her that he would only see her if she left this cult. And so, you know, trying to get her out of it, which, you know, questionable on that side, too. Yeah. Like, it's pretty clear why maybe this person ended up. Uh, Yeah. Falling into a similar relationship. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. But at the same time, like she, you know, ultimately didn't see her dying father. And people who did leave were, as we've seen, this is another thing for the checklist, ostracized for the community. They spread lies about them. They would say they were like running. I mean, one of them, apparently, they said was running a prostitution ring. They would be like, oh, they're all in their mind, right? In their ego. And so don't have any contact with them. So basically, Michelle, at this point, is like, we're an anti-cult. We're not a cult. And it's like, okay, dude. So this is early 90s by now and the Cult Awareness Network and this guy named Rick Ross. Which, by the way, it fucking cracks me up. This guy's name is Rick Ross, but go on. I know. Because I remember when I heard that, I was like, wait, Rick Ross was a cult watcher. Oh, wrong Rick Ross. (laughs) So he gets wind of Budafield and Michelle is basically like, we got to go in the middle of the night one night and takes a handful of people away. They are basically like living underground with him. And everybody else is just abandoned in Los Angeles. Which, again, um, not something that's unusual that we see often yep. with a cult where suddenly they have to pick up and like leave town yeah. because they're basically trying to run, run away from local police that have caught on to them. Right. So he is using this apocalyptic rhetoric about how Christ figures and teachers are persecuted and killed throughout history. And obviously that might happen to him. They stay on the run for six months and then settle in Austin where he gets a disciple to buy him a big new house. People have like sort of these conflicting ideas of his background and some things start to emerge. So he changes his name to Andreas. I mean, again, like people, it's really funny because when they talk about his past, he would basically tell them all slightly similar things. So it's a really unclear, like, I mean, we really don't know much about his background and, you know, how he grew up and all that stuff. So he changes his name to Andreas. He brings everyone else out from L.A. in small groups. People sold their homes and belongings. They packed up and basically left their jobs and just moved to Austin to create this new Buddha field. This is where things, I would say, started to get even darker. They start recruiting new people because he always wants more. He went after people who could do ballet. (laughs) He's recruiting now for his own fetish. He's starting a ballet company slash cult. He used yoga classes to recruit. Everyone is beautiful. So uh, it's really like, I don't mean to cut you off, but you know, what? No. it's really interesting to me is also how every cult seems to be practicing eugenics. <laughs> yeah. No, right. I mean, and this guy more than I mean, I absolutely. In, in some very interesting ways. Yeah. Um, so at some point in here, he takes on another title. Uh, no longer just the teacher, but the master. Oh, and it starts to become very much about him. Um, I'm shocked. Shocked. <laughs> 1983, Not that this is the eighth year. 
of this cult, and a hundred miles north, Waco happens. So Andreas decides that he's going to be the next David Koresh, so everyone has to be super careful. He had this thing that he told them about sacred things need to be kept secret. And by the way, I love that his name now has changed again. Not only his title, but his name. Yeah, yeah. And so he, I, uh, the, the keep it secret, keep it safe just reminds me of Gandalf. That's all I can hear. <laughs> Gandalf, they, though, would not start a cult. <laughs> no, no, obviously not. He would start a fellowship right. <laughs> of the ring. He would, leave the, he would lead the revolt against a cult. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He would. So they rehearse being questioned by the FBI because that's a thing that normal people do. And like... <laughs> Whatever. Will takes on more importance and like continues. They build an aviary uh, at this new house where they have peacocks and all kinds of exotic birds and a fucking wallaby randomly. Demands that Andreas is making starts to increase. The aviary gets infested with rats and he made the cult members go out with shovels and murder all these rats. Like it's one of awful. them described like how you could pick up like a stone and like you know a dozen rats would just like boil out of it which by the way considering how much stuff they have (laughs) stolen from buddhism killing animals is a very very anti-buddhist oh well let me tell you what else is fuck you andreas one person adopted a dog i heard about that don't don't, i don't even want to hear it because i I remember the story they have to take the dog back yeah because he doesn't like dogs yep enough fucking said you're a monster yeah and they were like <laughs> devastated by the way they were devastated yes. because the dog was getting more love and attention from everybody than he was right that's really there's what a, it came down to there's a documentary scene at some point right around here by the way where a peacock goes after andreas on camera and he freaks out and it's like get him <laughs> but, but, uh, and also apparently will would shut off the camera whenever he was screaming and shouting so again we don't have a lot yeah. of that 1997, Andreas wants a theater so that he can choreograph shows and they can of come back. Of course he does. So one of the group members buys a giant piece of land and they design and build a gorgeous theater. He would come and yell at them like that he didn't like the way it looked or something and tell him to take it all down. And then he would yell at the guy who was overseeing it because it was taking too long to make. He, this guy's um, basically like he's he's got a little Hitler in him, too. I mean, so there's so much. Because so. Hitler, like, really wanted, like, yeah. you know, to grow the German Nazi film industry because he was, like, a failed artist, right? Right, right. This, this dude's the same. Go so on. they would So they would rehearse for hours, these ballets. They would order fabric from L.A., build these beautiful costumes and sets. Everyone worked on it. They would rehearse it for a year, and then they would perform it once just for the group and never again. There is something very much like out of a novel about that. Like it feels like something that could not possibly be real. Like it, it's just insane. So, you know, I mean, this guy is a dog hating ballerina dictator. Yeah. So he would tell men and women to spend time together and then tell them not to sleep together. No children were born in all the time this cult was together to members. If someone got pregnant, they were told to have abortion. Which is fucking horrible. Overweight people, not allowed. Again, eugenics. and that, Yeah. Yeah. Everyone had to wax everything. He only wanted people who looked like stars. Plastic surgery, he would suggest to them. Like, hey, you need to get your chin done or your nose. He also had a ton of plastic surgery himself. 
and at a certain point starts having that like I'm melting like scary deformed yeah. look of too much plastic surgery and he would have people test out plastic surgery before he got him that's right yes that's Ugh. like that's like some balls I mean that is like I mean at that point you know people I'm sure are asking questions and and they say that they were but they would rationalize it and compartmentalize it so 2001 year 16 we have more people who've left who have been sort of ostracized. Independence was not encouraged. He gets creepier by the frame at this point in the movie. He's sort of using brainwashing, hypnosis techniques, more extreme. Year 20, 2005, they're making short films, including this bizarre Mad Max-esque thing where the master in his yoga pants appears in the desert. Yeah, this is like... is trying to get water. <laughs> It almost has like a Bollywood element to it. It's like a Bollywood meets like, Mad Max. Yeah, like a really, really, really Cheesy, poorly done knockoff of a Bollywood movie. Yes. And then all of a sudden there's like crazy <laughs> special effects happening. It's like, what? So everything just gets weirder, basically. I love, again, the woman that I love, the sister, says at this point, he's an out-of-work actor who stumbled onto the role of a lifetime. <laughs> yeah, but it's true. That's it honestly is. the it's best so assessment true ever she so knows fin- so finally year 21 2006 an email gets circulated to everyone in the buddha field from a man who's leaving the group basically saying that andreas had been forcing sexual relationships on his male disciples and at this point the group begins to break apart like people defend him including at first the filmmaker mm-hmm. will allen who did not realize that he had been abused at this point people start talking to each other though whenever that happens you know the truth is going to come out so it turns out that he would start these things in private therapy sessions where it became part of their spiritual practice i mean there's a terrible thing actually that's not in the documentary but is in another piece that i read that just i think gets across how terrible this is and like trigger warning obviously because this is horrific behavior so he would he had a very set schedule like, they, these guys knew, like, Thursday is the day that he's going to force me to service him or whatever. And so Will, who was very tall, much taller than him, there was a thing that he would say. So the master would watch porn, and then he would have one of his helpers summon Will and he would when he was ready to finish. And he would say, bring the box. And the box was because he was so much shorter. And Will is like, basically, I realized I'm not even a person to this Mm-hmm. you know, man that I've spent 20 years with. So, you know, these brave men come forward. This was a culture he created where consent was meaningless because he, you know, you, you can, how can you consent when it's your spiritual teacher telling you that this is the only way that you can, you know, grow basically. And so he goes nuts at this point. He is like in a rage. There's this bizarre video message that he has Will Allen. It's the last thing that he films for him where he basically just defiantly says he's not apologizing. And he just, I mean, is clearly like lost the lost the plot completely. Yeah. He has this very chilling confrontational air. So a lot of people left. A lot of people didn't. He decided to do another knowing session at this point because he wants to give the people who are sticking in there, you know, a reason to stay around. Yeah. He wanted to destroy people who were after him. Of course. And so eventually he was told, if you let us relocate you and you stop doing this, we will not press charges 
and we will help get you settled. You just have to promise that you're not going to do hurt people anymore. So, and who is he told this by? So Will Allen and some of the members of the group basically are like, all right, Andreas, uh, we will take you to Hawaii. So Will goes to Hawaii and then leaves there, doesn't say goodbye. Then in 2007, which is the last year we get in the documentary, year 22, you see this empty Austin house. You hear people talking about how they felt like their families had died all at once. You know, this community was very tightly knit and they really are mourning the loss of that. Mm-hmm. People who did service kept no savings, had their lives like basically flatlined and started over because they, they had nothing. You know, they had no choice. Yeah. And everyone tries to heal and restart family relationships, but cut to Hawaii where the master is still taking on students. He's got a group of young, attractive people following him and has something like a hundred followers at the end of the film. Some of them people who came from Austin and some new people and they basically did a hidden camera and got some footage of him there. He calls himself Reiji now, which means God King. Mm. Well, I mean, come on. (laughs) You go from teacher to master. Next jump is obviously the God God. King. Right. Yeah. So there's this, so there's this really creepy, like little kind of confrontation, but not really. Yeah. Like Will goes up to him. Will goes up to him. And there's almost like this look on his face, like he thinks maybe like, oh, he's come back. Right. And then he just makes these creepy statements. And that's that's basically that's basically it. To Um, me, another really interesting thing about this was actually at the end, when you talk to a lot of the former members, mm -hmm. they've all joined new. Most of them actually have joined new, quote unquote, religious groups. Right. Well, some of them have stayed. So there is like a there are pictures of people who well Alan was close to that say whether they stayed or left. Right. And a lot of them have since left. However, there was so I did find something that happened after the documentary. So obviously a lot. So the the last footage is like in 2007. The movie doesn't come out until 2016. And so Jared Leto actually ended up being the executive producer on this. Mm -hmm. Like the guy had cut together. uh, um, 30 seconds to Mars. (laughs) <laughs> had cut together a rough cut. Oh, and, I didn't say what um, did he like make a make a movie for his uh band, but okay. <laughs> I know, I know. It's like, you know, you lost me when you broke Angela Chase's heart, Jared, but you know, this is one good thing he's done in the past few years, I suppose. So they had a showing in on Oahu, which is where the teacher is yeah. now. And there's a great CNN piece by Ann O'Neill about it. And basically like it starts with sort of a shouting match that breaks out at the Q&A because one of the interesting things about the press for this movie is that Will Allen didn't do it alone. He almost always had a couple of other people in interviews and they did a lot of like, I guess, sort of Q&A sessions and things and are all very, you know, still very close, like friends with each other. And so basically they get in a shouting match like the current followers and the and the former followers mm-hmm. at this screening And, you know, it turns out, so I'm just going to read a tiny bit from this piece because this is so good. So he's not laying low like he promised them would. Concerned neighbors say he has taken to walking the streets of Lanakai in disguise with a cane wearing a white surgical mask. But somebody else says that's another spiritual leader who's (gasps) taken up residence on the island with a band of followers. What is Hawaii? Hawaii. What is going on? I, you know what? Listen, I don't think we're paying enough attention to what the fuck goes on in Hawaii. Because, I mean, like, they're, they're part of the United States, but 
they're just always doing their own shit over there. <laughs> so at any rate, he does have a bigger, more secure home nearby, regardless of whether that's him or not. Oh, that's amazing. Although I really want to go to Hawaii now. We need like a show about the cult leaders of Hawaii. It's like we a, need a show. You know, we need to. We need do they people. hate each other. Or they like. Do they like walk it? You know. Yeah. Like, I want to know at, cult wars. You go into, Are there like, cult your wars? Local sushi yeah. bar, and they're like, "Oh God, he's here." Yeah. <laughs> like, I wonder if there's cult wars, but also like I, <laughs> I feel like now like maybe for the go maybe for the Patreon if people pay enough money we should go to these towns. I mean, I would definitely existed. go to Hawaii. I would take that bullet. But it has to be bullet. like an investigative journal. <laughs> oh, it will be. It thing. will be. <laughs> yeah, it it'll be, be like dark travel, but specifically for cults. <laughs> Netflix, call me. I just got your new show idea. Okay, go so, ahead. Uh, so he's living in this giant house. They also sent, I love this actually, they sent a mass mailing to the every mailbox within a three mile radius of the beach where he's living that was a, was a holy hell postcard with the film he doesn't want you to see on one side of it. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> so he, Reiji, had seen the film and um, the reporter kept trying to meet him, but it never materialized. And so they sent an emailed statement from Michelle. Maybe he's back to calling himself Michelle now. His statement that he gave was, it is heartbreaking to see how history has been rewritten. Holy hell is not Girl, a documentary. Girl, bye. <laughs> Rather, it is a work of fiction designed to create drama, fear, and persecution, knowing that is what sells. But and here's the thing just, that's really sad to me is that just goes on in more of that. Like yeah, they all he be is, fine peace. Talk like, about delusions of grandeur. You. <laughs> yeah. Here's the thing that's really sad to me is that so many former cult members will come out and have sexual abuse allegations and nothing gets done about it. Yeah. Like think about these people who came out and they're like, he sexually abused us. And then they're all like, listen, we won't press charges. Just leave. Like, they're still it's, they're still walking around and that's no closure. And it's just right. that they st- he still has a hold over them where they're not even pressing charges against him. Absolutely. I think it does seem like the documentary itself was sort of a healing thing and also yeah. the hope that it would impede his ability to get followers. But I will tell you, it's really interesting even to think about the difference in where we are now versus 2016 when this came out. Because yeah, there was a column on Reason magazine where the guy basically at the end is like, you know, they were adults and uh, whether or not oh it was consensual, like the idea that there might be a power imbalance that would between two men whether or not yeah. there could be consent. Right. Right. That it basically was sort of waving off that part. That's and awful. I'm like, oh, I know. And I was just like a part of me wanted to contact the writer and be like, do you stand by this? But yeah. I'm sure it probably I'm sure he probably does. So, you know, I do think that like, the sad thing is it's any marginalized community, right? Gay Absolutely. men probably still fall under that heading. So what are they, you know, what are they going to do? If they were underage followers, it might be a different story. But they're, you know, because they were over 18, I think that it But I think been- that this is also why, especially right now with the Me Too mo- movement, I think a lot of these things need to be examined. And I, I also yes. think that's why it's so important for men like Terry Crews to speak out because... The entire yes. concept we have and perception that we as a society have of what constitutes sexual assault or abuse or harassment, even when it's male on female, is still not where it should be. It's and- even less so when it's male on male, if it's female on male, female on female, and when it happens to members of the trans community. So yes. this is even more so why 
as important as it is for every single woman to speak out, it's even more important if for all non-women that have fallen victim to sexual harassment, sexual assault, you know, or sexual abuse. That we lift the stories of the people. Yeah, because that's the only way like it's going to get only by that or better systems. Hopefully, like we'll when people speak out in a number, that's the only way you start to see systems change. Right. And that's hopefully we'll start getting a better system with the way we litigate or in the way we go after these these situations and we we also and also prevent them and that's also a big part of the problem is that there's still not enough preventative language in place and preventative you know anything that happens to you if you're even acute like there's just not enough there so absolutely that's why it's so important even if it's so painful to speak out one of the reasons i wanted to talk about this is because you know it is true that most of the uh, the, most of the cults that we've talked about so far we've really preyed on women but it it absolutely also goes both ways and can happen to men and i think like one of the most tragic things about this to me is how many of the female followers seem to have stayed with him and also because white women are the fucking worst let's just be honest yeah Right. It's As like, a, I can say me. that because I'm a white woman. No, right. They're like, <laughs> but it's it true. White women me, are the fucking so. worst. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if it doesn't I, happen to you, it doesn't affect you. It's like, listen, like there's other people out there. Like white women have to learn to be better allies. And I think that's something that doesn't get so yep. often enough. Yeah. Either. But also the, um, the fact that Will Allen himself is very open about not realizing when he, he knew these things were happening. Right. Or maybe not the extent of them. But also that he wasn't able to see his own experience for the abuse that it was at first because of, you know, the way he'd been manipulated. But also, I think probably partly the societal messages that you're talking about that, you know, tell men that that don't really prepare men for when abuse happens to them. Yeah. Right. I mean, that sort of it, that sort of do keep it closet closeted, you know, that you're supposed to keep those kind of experiences to yourself. And it's just so harmful. So basically, this is crazy. And you guys should watch the documentary. There's a lot. Definitely watch it. Yeah. And if you're somebody that's, you know, just because it's happened already now with our first episode, you know, we had ISIS reach out to us. So if you're someone that has been involved with Budafield or knows somebody that was involved in Budafield, whatever your situation and you have an opinion or you have a real life experience, we want to hear it because I'm not we are not judging people for getting into cults you believe what you believe but you know so we're not gonna like shit on you because you're involved in something like i still we're still open to hearing what your experience is because we're we're obviously looking at it from a very different lens just from an outsider observer Uh, and it's different when you're in it you know we can speculate but still and and honestly i think one of the things that's so striking about this particular cult and documentary and the fact that it's so little known is that it does it does underscore how easy it is and i think we all like to think that like people who get involved with these groups are not like the kind of people that we know or you know couldn't be us or our friends but like these are perfectly you know like i do think it really underscores just because you have so much footage like i can totally imagine being friends with any of these people right like it really reminds you that like this is this is a human impulse. That's one very of the human. That, yeah. One of the things that makes this so interesting to us. Is and that also, we, I, yeah, it's very yeah. human to fall 
into a situation like this and like like it or not it's also very human to be the person that's leading something like this and to want a community right the other thing is a lot of these people like i think stay in it because they but not for the leader but for the people the The other other people people in the cult with them the family that they don't have maybe in their own life exactly so So i've been watching it's really interesting i've been watching um i just started watching pose i started Mm. watching it last night and um, for anybody who doesn't know what, what Pose is, on? is yeah. it's on FX and it's about the ballroom culture of the late, early 80s. And it oh still exists God. today in New York City. How have I not heard about this? Until so now? for any, yeah. So it's like, I actually am surprised at myself that I ha- was not watching this already. I knew the show was coming out. I had every intention of watching it, but I just didn't start watching it because I'm not a huge Ryan Murphy fan. And I think it's just because I never liked Glee. But I really wanted to see Pose as soon as I heard that the show was going to be happening. And then once I found out that they were hiring the most amount of trans actors in a project oh, ever. That's amazing. It, yeah, that's it's great. so great. Plus the content. When I was in my 20s, I was very, very, very into the New York City club scene. And that club scene, especially if you were like really, really into it, you kind of like know your history. And there was some lap over some of the the people that I would see and hang out with at clubs, you know, at night, they were, they were trans women that were involved in the ballroom culture. And a lot of our, and like, yeah, so like a lot of our music and stuff, it was like, we absolutely like that is what laid one of the groundwork and foundation for the New York city club scene. So to me, like I always knew about ballroom culture. I knew about voguing even before Madonna had the song, but like that added to it. Which voguing Madonna absolutely she got that from the ballroom culture and the yeah. guys the two of her dancers who were in the videos and toured with her on that tour they were also from the ballroom culture and they helped her with all the choreography and everything for that video and and all the performances because Madonna also came up from the New York club scene yeah so she was right. very aware of this community so anyway Pose one of the big themes in Pose and in ballroom culture is that there's houses. So the way ballroom culture started is it was a place for LGBT community, specifically Latino and black. So non-white LGBTQ, uh, they would get together and put on these balls and they had all these different categories and they'd perform, but everyone had, there were houses and there were mothers. And basically the mothers were taking in, and a lot of these, you know, in the late early eighties and stuff, a lot of them were, uh, they were young. They were in their teens and early twenties. This is at the height of the AIDS crisis. Um, and a lot of them are runaways that were, you know, kicked out of their houses because they were not straight. And this is, you know, you, the show shows so much about what the struggle, everything that was going on sociopolitically at the time. But the big thing is how there's that sense of community and how these kids that are, they don't have a family. So they're creating their own families. Right. So that's and, I mean, and if you and if you only have a shitty model, right? Right. Like exactly. Who get then? Of course, you don't realize if things are off. But yeah, every community. I mean, like communities also that you build can be wonderful, right? Yeah. Obviously, like and that's a, it's a very human need is what I was basically getting at. And sometimes yeah. it comes from that need is born from you're missing it in your life. So you go seeking it elsewhere. And if you're fortunate, you find it in a nourishing and a positive form. 
And if you're unfortunate, you end up somewhere where someone who maybe has that same damage and also grew up with a lot of shit. Because, listen, no one that grew up and is a healthy, well-adjusted, balanced human being decides to be a cult leader. Because there's a very sinister, dark thing there. And then when they start getting abusive, which is just a fact, most people that abuse are repeating something they they experienced were abused themselves. So they're right. beha- they're repeating that behavior. So again, like that's why it's like, you know, it's very human. Also, like we can, we seem to forget that because I think as a society, yeah. we always are like, oh, well, the bad guys are the bad guys and that's it. Okay. Right. But the bad guys are also human beings. And right. that's a very human thing that people are going to be bad and they are going to do awful things and they're going to hurt other people. And it's not a good thing, but that's what human beings are. Like that's, as much of a part of it as the good stuff is. So I think it's a very human thing, again, to be looking for that community and then also to manipulate, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's just interesting that this is like we're talking about this oh, and I was I watching mean, Pose so because there's an example of where community is formed out of necessity and but is in a positive way and in a constructive right. way. Um, right. And then cults are an example of it at its worst. At its worst, absolutely. And it's at its where it's not about like um, helping other people or lifting other people up. It's about tearing them down and lifting yourself up. Yeah. And yeah, obviously that is something that is woven throughout culture and culture. I mean, there is a really interesting line uh, quote from one of the guys who was in this in the movie who basically says once he got out that, you know, he's like there. are He's like these cults are everywhere. You yeah. may not know they're in your town. And he's probably right. Absolutely. And that's, again, like you saw at the end of this, how many of the people who had left Budafield are now involved in another small, they're not being called a cult. Right. But it, they kind of sound like they're small cults, you know? And and yeah. it's inter- and again, it goes back to that human need for community. And I think especially after you experience a level of abuse where it's like you're searching for someone to kind of make you whole for that pain that you still have not completely probably processed all the way. It's really interesting. I definitely recommend like going to read the Anne O'Neill piece and I'll put a link to that in the show notes, which you can get on our Patreon. That was a fantastic Um, plug. It, uh, (laughs) it, uh, but you know, it ends with her basically, she's like kind of taken with them, the former cult members, like how, like full of life and young they all look and how um, yeah. you know like chi- how they still have like this spirit of like play to them and, and they take her surfing and like the end of the piece is like this sort of really like little moment of transcendence that she sort of experiences and I mean it does make you understand that like they're and they talk about how like the laughter is just is more healing than when they cry and go into the you know kind of like deep hurts that they experience yeah so i mean they're just it's a really interesting they're an interesting um group to be sure an interesting trajectory but yeah so that is the buddha fields i mean yeah it's interesting to see what happens because they're still in existence they're still functioning and operating so it's really interesting to see what happens you know with that and um an interesting thing too is that there is on our buddy thefrankreport.com there's an article where he a year ago compared (laughs) Michelle to Rainier (laughs) I love it Yeah. or Ranieri we don't know or Ranieri Ranieri, whatever (laughs) so um yeah so apparently Keith has a former videographer himself 
and oh. his name is Mark Vincente, and he was supposedly rumored to have left Nexium. So maybe we might see oh a very similar God. documentary uh, about that would, Nexium. That, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. So yeah, we should we yeah. This is um it's pretty funny that you chose to also do these two cults, <laughs> not even knowing that that existed. So that's very funny. No. That's hilarious. And I, I wonder the if there's going to be a theme that comes up uh, <laughs> like with the cults that we end up choosing to do. Probably. I know. I mean, for this one, I admit part of it was that I already had notes and that the documentary is so good. It is very um, good. It's so Although good. Although Wild Wild Country is still my favorite cult documentary. We still have to do that. Yeah, I yeah. think we got to wait, though, because I feel like that's that's like we that's going to be two, we have to do a two parter on that. And I think yeah. like, we're definitely going to do it. Um, yeah. not soon, probably in like, I would say like a month or so. Oh yeah. At least. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But like we're definitely going to do it. Maybe, maybe for the holidays, like a That'd nice be like the Christmas, Christmas present for everybody <laughs> or whatever holiday you celebrate. <laughs> whatever holiday you like. We'll to talk celebrate. about wild, wild country. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But, um, yeah, that was, that's amazing. If anyone has other information about Buddha field or, or a tribe sal- or wants to send us pictures of fruit salads, yeah, or say. if you do a really impressive <laughs> fruit sh- salad art carving, <laughs> send us pictures at cult faves podcast at Gmail <laughs> or tweet them to us at cult faves. And we'll put them on our Instagram, which is also we called at cult faves because I'm kind of obsessed with fruit salad art now. So um, even if you don't do. make it or you know of good fruit salad art, I want to see it because I'm or kind maybe of obsessed. you're sitting there and you're like, you know, I've been searching. I've never known maybe what I just wanted inspired. to do with my exactly. life. <laughs> and maybe you're like, you know what? Let me do this. That would be fucking cool. Um, Leave yeah. us reviews. Leave us reviews and ratings. Yeah, we like us. those. And go support us, us on our Patreon. It was just patreon.com slash cult faves. And drop us a line on our website, which I'm going to, I'm going to work on it and like, <laughs> No, I'm going to work on the website. I was meant to do it this weekend. I didn't, but I'm going to work on it. Go our look website. at it right now. Look at it now uh, and then look go at look at it in a couple weeks. And you'll be like, oh my God, she did work it's on totally it. totally different. <laughs> all uh, right. Yeah. Thank you guys. Oh, oh, what? we forgot the most important announcement of all. What? Which is that by the time they get another episode, we will probably, you might even get to hear some little yips and barks from oh, the yeah. newest pet member no, 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 but of don't, the like, We're not going to talk about it yet, though. We're not going to talk about it. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. So we'll, so we'll talk to <laughs> you guys next week. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.